Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Chapter 3, we are in the last two weeks of our series in Philippians, and uh, my prayer is that this has been challenging for you and that you have uh, learned and grown in what it looks like to be joyful, meaning uh, not that I'm happy all the time, but rather that I'm Uh, rooted into where lasting joy is found. And uh, as we've identified through this whole time, uh, recognizing that fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. And the reason or the significance behind why, why are we walking through this in a season such as this, as we sing songs about the birth of a Savior, as we celebrate Christmas, what is so significant about this? And at the end of the day, the reason we have to celebrate Jesus' birth is because of what we have been given in Jesus' name. And apart from Apart from what Jesus has accomplished, we would have absolutely no reason to celebrate the birth of this baby. And it's the significance of the gospel, the good news, that there is salvation in Jesus' name. That when we really understand the gift of Christ as an outpouring of God's grace, that it becomes a celebration of His birth. And so easily, church, we miss that because we become distracted by all of the planning and all of the get-togethers and all of the gifts and everything else. And don't get me wrong, all of that is fantastic. Take it from someone who lived for five years, 2,500 miles away from family. It is a joy when you are able to gather together in these seasons. But it is of so much more value when we recognize the joy that we've been given in Jesus and can root into that and find the reason for our celebration being in those things. Amen? And that's why this is so seen in fullness of joy is found in glorifying God. And Jesus Himself was one who modeled that in a way that we're to follow after, where Jesus found His joy in doing the will of the Father who sent Him. And so, as we finish out this in the next two weeks, my prayer is that this would challenge you, but it would also give you even more reason to celebrate the Christmas season because you recognize in a new light what has been given you, the gift that has been given you in Jesus. 
So I want to pause a minute. I want to pray specifically that we would be challenged in that way. And then we're going to go to the second portion of Philippians 3 um, this morning and pray that God would equip us well. Father, thank you for the hope that is given us in this baby named Jesus, who it's not his birth that gives us the reason to celebrate. It's what we know comes from the life, the death, the resurrection, and the future hope of His coming that gives us reason to celebrate His birth. Father, may we be a people and a church family who do not fall prey to the secularization of this time that we become so distracted by everything else that we lose the joy that can only be found in Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, both in this room and online and wherever they're listening to this, that they would experience a comfort and a peace today that could only come from you. For those who in this season right now are dealing with grief and loneliness and the heartache that comes when these things happen and memories of times past flood in. Lord, in the midst of that, may they find a joy knowing that eternity is secure in Jesus' name. Lord, that we as a people who believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved would celebrate all the more and put to shame any celebration outside of those boundaries because of the hope and the joy we've been given. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. A very commonly referred to portion of Jesus' ministry is actually the Sermon on the Mount. And that's not where we're going to be today, but I wanted to start there And reference this because here Jesus articulates several specific commands to his disciples. And in doing so, Jesus contrasts a way of living life that was modeled by this group of guys named the Pharisees who were really focused in on here's all the rules you need to follow if you're going to be counted as righteous before God. Now, one of the specific things Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew 6.21, is he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he specifically says this in the scope of speaking about the dangerous pursuit of earthly wealth. And even goes on and further emphasizes, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all the rest of these things will be given to you. Ultimately, a focus being on, emphasize and focus in on that which is of eternal merit and value, not the stuff that is temporary. I I am full bore one of those people who struggles. I understand it, but I also struggle with our cultural concept of Black Friday. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where as the day after we give thanks, supposedly, for what we have, we rush to get what we don't have. Now, some of you are going, but I get such good deals. I, I understand, okay? 
But the reason I wrestle with this and the reason this becomes such a struggle in seasons like Christmas, and it's not just Christmas, it's any opportunity, is it threatens to become what is most important. And if the earthly becomes most important, we lose the significance of the eternal. It's another reason in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasized that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And that can look like a lot of different things. Now the reason I'm starting here is because our main idea in this section of Philippians is this. Where your faith is, there your joy will be also. Where you root your faith into in this life will become the source of your joy as long as you have breath. And we're going to unpack that from what Paul says here in Philippians 3. And my prayer is that you begin to see why this is the main idea coming out of Paul's instruction to the church. Everyone say the church. And this is super important for us to know that Paul is writing here. Paul and Timothy together are writing here to the church. And some of you may go, well, what is the church? The church is anyone who believes in the name of Jesus to be saved. And the cool thing about that is that means the church is not located at 1300 East Chestnut Street in Canton, Illinois. The church is not in any building, but it is a blessing when we as the church can gather in one place and worship the one true God. It's important we recognize this. Paul and Timothy are writing to the church, being the people that have chosen to follow Jesus and commit their lives to Him. Now, I want to start Philippians chapter 3. Last week we read through verse 11. I want to start at verse 12, and I'm going to read through the beginning of chapter 4. I want you to follow along with me in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Paul picks up from where he left off. Last week he talked, he was writing specifically about how he counts everything as loss when compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 11 that, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And we emphasized that salvation is by faith, not by anything we could do. He picks up in verse 12, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. The first thing I want you to see in this as Paul articulates this is uh, this emphasis on his faith being rooted in what he runs to. You look specifically at verses 13 and 14. He says, brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, Paul identifies, I have not perfected this yet. And here is a truth statement for you all. None of you, including myself, have perfected this yet. If you did, then you should be up here teaching, not me. And in fact, if you did, then... Uh, by very nature, Scripture would be deceiving in the sense that no one other than Christ has perfected this. Say, ongoing, daily, every week, every hour, I wrestle with my flesh. Paul is right there with the church and saying, I haven't already done this, but brothers, I do this one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he has the audacity to say this in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And by the way, if you think any way otherwise, don't worry, God will reveal that to you. I read that this last week and I laughed and I went, boy, does he ever. It's just a matter of whether we listen or not. God makes it very clear what our weaknesses are. But so often we just push that away. I'm like, no, I'm not going to admit this. I'm not going to admit that I struggle in this area. But God will reveal that to you. And so the mindset that Paul is encouraging the church here is this one thing I do. I forget what is behind me and I strain, I pursue, I run to what. God has called me to in Christ. I don't know. I'm curious. How many of you have ridden in the car with someone who is a gawker as they're driving? They kind of look out the window and stare. How how many of you have done this? Okay. All right. Some of, I see a couple people pointing at themselves. I'm that person. What happens, right? This is, this is really common. It doesn't matter what you're driving. I had someone tell me this once. The way you look is what? The way you go, right? I love that you knew that. But it's also really convicting, isn't it? Because the same truth applies in our spiritual lives. The same truth applies in our walk of faith. Where I fix my eyes at and what I am running to is what... Is the direction I go. It's the place I end up. And so a lot of you, including myself, 
our lives as we seek to pursue Jesus look a lot like this. Over here. And man, if your spiritual life was a real driver, you would definitely get pulled over. Okay? But here is, at the end of the day, this is something, if, if I'm recognizing that where my faith is, that's where my joy is going to be too, and then I step back and heed the words of Paul and recognizing that he's saying, what motivates me is what I'm running to. My faith is rooted in that which I'm running to. What does that mean? It means that which I'm running to right now is the object of my joy. That means that which I'm running to, if all of a sudden it dissipates or it goes away or something happens to that, if my joy is rooted in that thing because my faith was fixated on that thing, then when that goes, my joy goes with it. Now some of you are sitting here today and you can identify what that is. You've experienced that. And you've experienced seasons and maybe a long season of a lack of joy in your life. And I'm telling you from God's word, the lack of joy in your life is because your eyes have been fixed on the wrong things. Now, I want to preface it and say it does not mean that if I fix my eyes on Jesus, all of a sudden things become so much easier for me. That's not all what I'm saying. But when I fix my faith and my eyes on the one who does not change, who cannot be taken away, who has given me a hope that is eternal, then guess what? Romans 8 rings true. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Tangible, emotional, or spiritual, we all run to something. You are running towards something today. Every single one of us has a coping mechanism that reveals where our faith is. Me too, okay? For some of us, media is the coping mechanism, often revealing that our faith is in information or our own understanding or control. For some of us, we run to substances, alcohol, drugs, or food. This Revealing that our faith is in how we feel. We drown out the heart and know that at the end of the day I can feel good even if it's just for a moment. How many of us can honestly say that our reaction to difficulty reveals that our faith is in our Creator? How many of us say we run to Jesus when we face trial versus how many of us actually run to Him? My faith is rooted in what I run to. The next thing that this passage reveals that we can see really clearly in Paul's words is, my faith is rooted in where my home is. Now, we're going to try something, okay? I'm going to say a statement, and I want you to fill in the blank. You just shout it out where you're at. If you're online with us, you just type it in the comments, okay? Or you can shout it out and type it in the comments. You can do that, okay? Home is where 
Ah, I thought that would be the first one. What else? Home is where... Okay. What else? Home is where family is. Okay. Home is where... What was that? Okay. Okay. So here's, here's the kicker in this. This whole concept of home is where the heart is. Do you know where that came from? Does anyone know? Most people say homework. Here, here's, here's the thing. I'm going to read you the lyrics of an Elvis Presley song. Home is where the heart is, and my heart is anywhere you are. Anywhere you are is home. I don't need a mansion on a hill that overlooks the sea. Anywhere you are with me is home. Now here's the hard truth about this. Every one of you fills in that blank with something. Every single one of you has an answer to that, whether you said it or not, and it's not the common answer. And if you want to give the biblical response, home is where the heart is, well, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So, steer clear, church family. (laughs) But here's the thing. My faith is rooted wherever I've planted myself. Where, and here's what, here's a few things I wrote down that are recognitions of this. Where your home is, is what you fight for. Where your home is, is what you invest in. Where your home is, is what dictates your time usage. And here's why I say this, because you may have this concept of home that is where your faith is rooted that is a facade because it's merely what you want to be home. Some of you would say, home is anywhere my family is, and yet you don't invest in your family at all. Some of you might say to your spouse, home is anywhere you are, and yet you haven't intentionally invested in that relationship in years. Some of you may say, home is here in Canton, Illinois. And you stay closed off from anyone and everyone in Fulton County or Canton, Illinois. And all I'm saying in the midst of this is, where your home really is, is revealed in how you use what God has given you in gifts, in resources, and abilities. What is that? For many of us, it's our jobs. For many of us, it's our leisure or our comfort. And then all of a sudden it makes sense. Man, when those things are no more, I feel like I'm having a a spiritual roller coaster. Why? Because your faith wasn't rooted in anything lasting. Your faith was rooted in the transient earthly things that are promised From Jesus himself, they're going to go away. They're going to disappear. 
Hebrews 13, verses 14 and 16 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Why are they pleasing to God? Because there is no lasting city on this earth. Brothers and sisters, I love living in our country, but the truth is the United States of America is not eternal. It's not. I, I will fight for this country to the day I die and the freedoms we have been given, but the United States of America is not eternal. The kingdom of God is. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, I want to be on the winning side. And if you focus all of your energy solely on defending that which is earthly and forget the eternal, we are in a dangerous, dangerous spot. Again, I want you to know, in no way is me saying that, me saying, death to America, far be that, okay? But what I am saying is, where is your home really at? Paul says this in verse 20. Look at this. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Church, that which is to come in the eternal kingdom is so much better. It's so much better. That's what Paul said before when he said, man, I'm, I'm struggling because to be with the Lord is far better. Better than anything you could ever experience here. Why do we long for Jesus' return? Because it's far better. And because that's where our citizenship truly lies. That's where home is. When we come to faith in Christ, you become a dual citizen of whatever country physically the Lord has placed you in and a citizen of heaven. And there's only one of those places that's going to last. Which one are you investing in? If your faith is rooted in our earthly country and earthly citizenship, you're going to be a really frustrated person. Because Paul told Timothy, expect it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to get better. But guess what's secure? Eternity. So how do we apply these things? I want to give you three points of application. The first one is this. Fix your eyes on that which is eternal. I hope that's become so drastically clear. And we see that. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. What have we attained? We've attained salvation in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you don't know what that means, here's what it means. It means that you sitting here, every single one of you listening to this, sitting here in person, has the opportunity to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And Scripture says that all that has to be done is I have to believe. I have to believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. I have to have confidence that it's Him who died for me. I can't do it on my own. I'm not enough, but Jesus is. And then you decide in a moment of time, I choose to follow Him rather than myself. And every one of you sitting here today has the opportunity to make that decision to follow Jesus. And every day that you don't make that choice, you are choosing to say no to the grace of God revealed to us in Christ. So there's no sitting on the fence. There's no, I'm not quite there It's either I have chosen to follow Jesus or I have chosen to follow myself and the pattern of this world. As we identified in Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. And you can make that choice right now. To fix your eyes on that which is eternal is to value what we have been given in Christ far above anything and everything else I have here. How do I fix my eyes on that which is eternal? Scripture teaches us this. And we see it in the book of Acts. The early church that's growing and developing in such powerful and drastic ways. And this is what was identified. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Church, you will consistently have your eyes fixed on that which is of this earth. As long as you choose not to prioritize that which is not of this earth. You will choose today and tomorrow and every day this week. To invest your time and your energy into something. Will you take time to devote yourself to faithful teaching of God's Word? Congratulations, you're here today. You are doing that. But is that it? Will you take time to fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ this week? Will you take time in the midst of your family gatherings to emphasize what's most important? Every single one of you here has the opportunity to do that. Well, I might frustrate some of my family members. Whose kingdom are you fighting for? Yours or God's? Are you going to devote yourself to the Word and to prayer? You want to fix your eyes on that which is eternal and find lasting joy in those things. Then take the time to know what that eternal looks like. Take the time to know who God is and what He has called us to as followers of Jesus. The second thing that we see in verse 17, Paul says, Join in imitating me and keep, get this, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Simple summary of that, surround yourself with faithful people. Church family, if majority of your time and investment and social circles are only filled with people who are of this world, don't be surprised when you pursue the things of this world too. Now, here's the other side of that coin. 
I know a lot of people who use this as an excuse not to have any unbelieving friends. Don't do that. You hold within your possession the light of Jesus. The hope for eternity. That means there should be people you are investing in and you see God has placed in your life for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with them. And they are all around you. But at the end of the day, who your friends are dictate who you become. Who you choose to surround yourself with will result in the things that you feel or become okay with. And I'm going to tell you from personal experience, you surround yourself with people who read the Bible, who pray, who call you to live more like Jesus, and you can't help but become more like them. And in the same way, you surround yourself with foul-mouthed people who could care less about anything to do with faith in Christ. And over time, what you start to see is a gradual moving away from anything to do with devotion to the Lord. In all of this, I recognize there's many of you that work in secular workplaces. Praise God. You are a missionary sent to those places. And you have opportunity right there to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Every single one of you is a missionary sent out from this place into whatever place the Lord has rooted you. Every single one of you. So surround yourself with faithful people who can make sure that your mission is God's mission, not selfish. Lastly, this one is really clear and throughout Scripture, but it's simply this. Stand firm in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, we read a section out of Hebrews chapter 10 earlier in the service, and in that I hope you recognized in the first portion of that, the emphasis that is on God doesn't delight in sacrifices or offerings, but delights in righteousness. And the reason we celebrate this time of year is because that righteousness has been revealed to us in Christ. But then later on in Hebrews 10, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So church family, where is your faith rooted? 
in the midst of the season you're in today, what dictates who you are? Is it the news? Is it the attitudes of people in your family? Is it emotions? Is it anxieties and fear? There is a hope that came to this earth in the form of a baby. And in that moment, creation itself created order people. We ourselves had no idea the transformational impact that child would have as he grew and obeyed the Father's will and gave his life as a ransom for many. And who has given us in his life and his resurrection a hope and a joy that when we root into it will never end. So church family, I want you to consider these things and recognize that where your faith is today, your joy is there too. And if you're experiencing a season where there seems to just be a lack of any joy, then I challenge you to ask the harder question, where have you placed your faith? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they do, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And here's what here's what I want here's what I want to happen. Um, in a minute, we're going to stand together. And we're going to sing this song you heard at the very beginning. He shall reign forevermore. And I want you to consider. Whose kingdom you have devoted to serve this day. And I'm going to sit right down here up in the front. And maybe you just recognize today that there needs to be a shift and a change. And the gift in this season that has been given to us in Jesus is the greatest gift you could receive this Christmas season. And so if that's you today and you're saying, I, I need to make a decision to follow after Jesus or I need to recommit myself to following after Jesus because my faith has been in myself, not the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that as we sing and proclaim this last song. And you could do that right where you're at, but if you feel like you need to come and pray with someone, I'm, I'm happy to come down here and um, I'll be sitting down here. You can come sit with me and I'll pray with you. And maybe you just need to come and kneel at the front before the cross, knowing that that's why we celebrate is because we recognize the birth of this baby is the gift of eternity for all those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see so clearly the magnificent hope that we've been given in Jesus' name. Father, that we would see where we put our faith and how that dictates our joy in life and how we live and walk and speak, Lord, the motivations of our hearts.
Father, may this not be something that we take lightly, but that we just wrestle with and that your spirit convicts us of for those sitting here today who may not have yet made a decision to follow after Christ. Lord, I pray that you would just pull and tug and (laughs) open their eyes to the joy that's found in Jesus name, that even in the midst of suffering and trial, we can have joy, unspeakable joy because of what has been given us in Jesus. Lord, we recognize it's you and you alone who can transform our lives. And so we commit this to you, all of that for your glory, that we would be a church that emphasizes your name above anything else. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray this. Amen.